Welcome to the 220th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, it is our third of fourth special college football preview editions. And this week, our topics are a look at the SEC and the Big Ten. Let's jump right in with a look at the SEC. Patrick, starting with your thoughts on who has the toughest schedules in the conference. Well, these two might be contending not only for the toughest schedules in the conference, but potentially in the country as well. Um, It's Florida and South Carolina sharing this one. The reason why I'm letting these two share it is just because I think there is actually a clear team out of these two that has a harder schedule, and it is Florida. But they they just are so far above the rest in terms of how hard their schedule is that I think you have to just call it them sharing it um, just because it's just way harder. Uh, but this is typically similar to the Big Ten where there is one division that's much better. In this case, it's the West, and the Big Ten, which we'll talk about later, it's the East. And that side tends to have the harder schedules because it has the Big Two or the Big Three of the conference, depending on the year in there. Uh, in the Big Ten's case, that would be Ohio State and Michigan now, and sometimes Penn State. In the SEC's case, uh, Georgia has kind of thrown this out of whack in that the divisions don't really actually skew as much as they used to because it used to just be that Alabama was so far above everybody else, and Georgia was kind of in line with LSU in the same way that Wisconsin was probably in line with Michigan and Penn State for a few years. But now all of a sudden, with Georgia's dominance, that has kind of flipped, and all of a sudden, the West actually uh, doesn't have the harder schedules this year, especially for the top teams, because they don't have to play themselves. Whereas if you're looking at the middle of the East, which is where Florida and South Carolina are, their schedules are ridiculously tough. Um, LSU has an opening weekend matchup with Florida State to give them a tough non-conference. But South Carolina and Florida don't just have an opening weekend matchup. They have a closing weekend matchup against rivals who are really good this year from the ACC. Uh, for South Carolina, their first game of the year is against number 20 in the coaches' preseason poll, which we can now use to actually give an accurate rating of teams rather than where I project they go at the end of the year, although I do have North Carolina actually finishing as the number 14 team, so I actually have them higher than the coaches have them. But Yeah, they, your, your rankings might be a little more accurate. But. but we'll see. I mean, but that is but the thing is that is also based on what happens by the end of the season, and if you were to ask me if North Carolina is top 15 going in, my answer is actually no. I just think that their schedule allows them to play their way into that level, unlike a team like South Carolina, who will probably pick up five losses despite being more talented than maybe half the teams in the rankings by the end of the season. But moving on with that, uh, their last game of the year after that game against number 20 North Carolina, they play number nine Clemson in the last game of the year. So two top 20 ACC opponents on an SEC team schedule. Their schedule is harder than a- than ACC teams are within the ACC, and they are not in the conference, um, which is just kind of funny to me. But Florida's first game of the year is on the road against number 14 Utah, and their last game is against number eight Florida State, which in my opinion, Utah is better than North Carolina in a little bit of a different tier Um, And then Florida State is pretty much right in line with Clemson, in my opinion, a little bit better. So in terms of preseason top 25 teams, according to the coaches poll, South Carolina plays number one, number nine, number 10, and number 25, that being Georgia, Clemson, Tennessee, and A&M. And then Florida has number one, number eight, number 10, and then number 14, Utah. And then the one thing that Florida throws in there that puts them above South Carolina to me and puts them above LSU to me is, well, they play LSU. LSU's game against Florida, viewing it from their perspective, isn't as tough as Florida's game against LSU because Florida is the unranked team in the matchup of that unranked versus top five team. And really, playing two top five teams in one year is crazy. They kind of got screwed over by not avoiding that in the crossover game. Obviously, both of them are going to have to play Georgia and Tennessee 
Um, and then both of them throw in that other top 10 ACC team. But the thing that gives Florida the edge is that they play LSU uh, in that crossover game, playing another top five team. And also for the last team in their uh, preseason top 25, instead of being North Carolina or number 25 A&M, Florida has number 14 Utah, which is a lot tougher. Uh, but by the way, LSU does have uh, number three Bama. They also have Florida State on their schedule, uh, number 22 Ole Miss and number 25 Texas A&M. Speaking of Florida State, that goes to show you they have a really tough schedule too. Um, although Florida from the Florida State end of things is not as tough as Florida State from the Florida end of things. But um, I do think that South Carolina and Florida playing three and four top 10 preseason teams gives them the edge with Florida having the toughest schedule in the conference, potentially in the country. Okay, on the flip side, who has the easiest schedule? It's Georgia. I mean, it's so simple. Well, they don't have to play themselves. That, that is, I mean, it's not it's not remotely close, and that is the number one reason I have, is that they avoid the top team in the conference, because they are the top team in the conference. Uh, but the other thing is, there are two other teams that they could play in the top five, Alabama and LSU. They don't play either of them. It feels like they never play either of them, but that's a different story. Um, and, and before Tennessee fans go crazy, they actually have to play one of them every year. So that's not a luck thing. That is a locked-in rivalry thing. And this is why you should eliminate divisions. Um, but look, further than that, with so many teams in the SEC playing multiple Power 5 schools and the fact that they, I believe they do have a rule that because they have only four non-conference or because they have four non-conference games and eight conference games, one of those has to be against a Power 5 school or Notre Dame. A lot of teams are playing two of them, as we said. I mean, you have North Carolina... Um, and, and Clemson, if you're South Carolina, that's two top 20 teams. If you're Florida, it's Utah and Florida state, two top 15 teams. Georgia is playing one power five team. And that team is Georgia tech who potentially, I think if you were to go down the list of the worst power five teams, there are not many that are below Georgia tech. If there are any, honestly, there's a chance they're at least down there with Northwestern, with Colorado, and by the way, Colorado has Coach Prime and a whole new roster, so I don't really think they belong in that conversation anymore either. Georgia Tech, 100%, is one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, Power 5 teams out there, and then the rest of their non-conference is FCS, UT Martin, Ball State, and UAB all at home. Now, they have some middle-of-the-table crossover games. They play at Auburn and versus Ole Miss, which is obviously considerably easier um, than Tennessee's schedule, who... They were the only other real contender here, seeing as how, you know, it's got to be one of the top 10 teams because they don't have to play themselves. Um, But whereas Georgia has the matchup against number 10, Tennessee, Tennessee is the matchup against number one, Georgia. And Tennessee also has Alabama in their crossover and A&M, who you could make the argument that A&M is better than both Auburn and Ole Miss. And that would make both of Tennessee's crossover games harder than either of Georgia's crossovers. And also just overall, they play two top 25 teams in the preseason top 25 all year long. Number 10, Tennessee, and number 22, Ole Miss. That's it. No Bama, no LSU, no A&M, no tough non-conference teams. Uh, not even Auburn on the, or sorry, they do have Auburn, but Auburn is definitely in a down year. I would, at this point, rather play Auburn than I would play Mississippi State, uh, than I would play probably LSU for, actually LSU for sure probably even I would rather play Auburn than I would ra- than I would play Arkansas. So, I mean, Georgia really did get it lucky in terms of their crossover games as well as the fact that they are Georgia and they don't have to play themselves, but there's really no contest in terms of who has the easiest schedule. Yeah, although we're all talking about the regular season schedule and obviously they'd have to play one of those teams that, uh, in a conference championship game should that cakewalk get them there. Um, how about the biggest challenger 
to first place in the conference. Well, I think that a lot of people, there are two teams that you can go with here. I think since I've done this with the other teams in divisional models, with the Mac at least, I guess is where I kind of invented that, and I went with one team in each division, I'll go with LSU. I actually think that people are overrating Tennessee. I don't see how a team loses Hendon Hooker and gets better because regardless of how much how great he looks in practice, how much arm strength he might have. I have seen Joe Milton play football before, and there is no way that he can get to the level that Hendon Hooker did without having Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, who are already being viewed as some of the best NFL receivers next season. Not some of the best, but at least in the top 30 or 40. If he he doesn't have those two, and he isn't Hendon Hooker, how are you supposed to tell me that that team is going to get better from last year than they did to this year? And if you say they don't need to get better, they just need to be the same, the truth is they already lost to Georgia last year, so they're not winning the conference because they did that last year. They beat Alabama last year. I think Alabama's getting better this year because I do think they lost. Yes, they lost Bryce Young. Yes, they lost Jameer Gibbs. But I think Alabama overall has a lot more to prove this year and will just be a lot tighter around the edges of the team back to their former uh, defense. I think that the fact that they set the record for penalties like a billion times last year will mean that this year they pay extra special attention to that. Nothing's going to get past Saban. They're not going to commit 15 penalties in a game again. They're not going to miss another game-winning field goal. And I think that Tennessee does not have what it takes to get back to the same levels last year. And I don't even... By the way, I will say, I think Joe Milton's going to be an all-conference quarterback. I don't think Alabama's quarterback, no matter who it is, if it's Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, whoever it is, they're not going to outplay Joe Milton. I think he'll probably be probably third-team All-SEC, I think, at least. Maybe second-team. But... I just think that, speaking of quarterback play, I think Jaden Daniels handled the jump to the SEC well last year, and LSU was the team that actually faced Georgia in the SEC championship game. I mean, it was kind of a foregone conclusion because we had seen Georgia play all the teams, and Tennessee was rated as the second best by beating Alabama, but the fact of the matter is, LSU was the team that actually earned their way there, and they returned their quarterback. Alabama doesn't. Uh, LSU returns a lot of that team, a lot of good production from there. And I think that that was Jaden Daniels' first year in the SEC, transferring in from Arizona State after playing in the Pac-12. Handling that jump that well the way he did, I have a feeling he's going to get even better this year in his senior year. And while I don't have it going that way in terms of LSU making it back to the championship game, and I'll talk about this in a second, I still think the biggest challenger to the Big Two of Georgia and Bama is clearly LSU and not Tennessee. Yeah, I actually think Tennessee is like my, uh, my TCU of the SEC. Kind of a lot of hype, but they're losing some key players, and a lot of things broke their way last year. And people people are underestimating the fact that it wasn't just Hendon Hooker that was making those plays. It was the fact that Hendon Hooker has a great deep ball, but his accuracy on it is ridiculous, and he had Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. I don't think Tennessee's receivers are going to be as open, and Joe Milton does not have the touch on his deep ball to equal that of Hendon Hooker. And once again, the receivers are not going to be that wide open. Yeah, they, I think that they, and they're the hunted this year. And uh, Joe Milton doesn't have a touch on the, at least what I remember, on his short balls either. So, no. again, I have some Trump, uh, PTSD or PJ. He has he clearly gotten better, though, in the few games that he yes. played with Tennessee. But even, even watching that, though, he also lost his job at Tennessee in the first year for a reason. I, There's a reason why he entered the season as a starter two years ago, and Hooker took the job from him. I mean, I agree with your assessment, although I do think there's a little bit of that with LSU. People are not going to sleep on them this year, although they do have the returning talent, like you said. All right. So uh, with that being said, who's your uh, picks to win the conference? All that being said about LSU, Georgia's my pick to win the conference. I have them running the table at 12 and 08. No, I mean, like I said, easiest schedule. I think, frankly, um, because Georgia is Georgia, 
obviously they don't have to play themselves. And I really think that there are probably three, maybe four teams in the conference. I think LSU or Bama would also run the table with Georgia's schedule. Um, I just think that the ability to avoid playing Georgia is very, very important. (laughs) And that's something that Georgia's schedule does because they are Georgia (laughs) once again. Um, But I also do have to say, I do have Alabama actually winning uh, the East and going in to that conference championship game against Georgia. But I should mention Georgia, the first team we've talked about that I have making the college football playoff. I did not have Notre Dame. Uh, I did not have any group of five teams, despite naming a few surprise candidates. Um, but I have them entering it as the number one seed overall. Uh, that is the reason why this is the fourth to last conference, because it is the most simple to talk about. But I will say, even with Alabama matching up with Georgia in that conference championship game, I don't have Alabama making the playoff. I don't have it being two SEC teams. Um, but I also don't think Georgia will be tripped up by Bama this year. And, you know, if you're looking at how I have this, I, there is definitely the scenario where Alabama or LSU makes it as a one-loss team. And frankly... I would argue that the team who actually misses uh, the SEC championship game is actually the favorite to be kind of the team that sneaks in and forth in the same way that Ohio State did last year, where going 11-1 and one and just having a regular season loss is almost better than having the extra loss. Whoever is going to be 11-2 and two out of these two teams is going to be in a worse position than whoever is 11-1. Is um, but as we'll talk about in a second, I don't have both of them going 11-1, and one, so that's the reason why I have this scenario unfolding this way. All right, well, let's talk about how you see the overall standings in the conference. Let's start in the SEC West. Well, the reason why I don't have these teams or one of these teams in the playoff is because I have Alabama ending number six with a surprise loss at Texas A&M. I think this is Jimbo's year to finally get his revenge on Nick Saban for all their little banter and beef over the years. I just really don't believe in Alabama's quarterback play. I don't think that Tyler Buckner, um, as good as he is, look, the Notre Dame team that he had last year probably could have been a, a playoff team had he not been the quarterback, frankly. Um, I don't think that he is an elite quarterback, and I think that in the SEC, you need elite quarterback play. There's the, That's the exact reason why I'm talking about Joe Milton in a way that, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to throw him under the bus, but I'm talking about him as if he can't make an impact, when the reality is he's probably going to be in the top 10 of quarterbacks in the country. He just isn't an elite SEC quarterback specifically because the talent is just off the charts in the SEC. Um, and I just think that Alabama's going to have one slip up I chose for it to be against A&M because it unfolds the rest of the scenario cleanly, but it might make more sense for it to be a loss to LSU. It probably will be that if they are going to lose a regular season game, but I picked it for Texas A&M for this scenario. I still have them ending up number six, and then that means that number seven is LSU, uh, who has two losses in conference. I have them picking up one at Ole Miss and then one at Bama. The thing is, I could really easily see either of those teams winning both of those games that are not against each other. Um, And if one of them only has one loss, then they're probably going to be able to make the playoff. That is the reason why that scenario is being talked about so widely. But my thing with LSU was just that I believe that Florida State with their schedule um, probably has more to play for in the game against LSU. But LSU might be able to just take their talent advantage, in my opinion, that's talent advantage, and beat Florida State, but that game non-conference, by the way, what what a non-conference game. LSU and Florida State in the Camping World kickoff. That's a very, very big game, uh, reminiscent almost of the DeAndre Francois-Alabama Florida State game a long, long time ago, but of course, Francois would go on to tear his ACL in that game, and Florida State had a disastrous season while Alabama won the title again. Uh, but if that season had unfolded differently, this might be a very similar game. Same team with Florida State and then an SEC contender. But the fact of the matter is, Whoever wins that game is probably going to the playoff. That is my opinion. 
The funny thing is in this scenario, I actually have the team who's winning that game not making the playoff, but I don't think that LSU makes it out of their non-conference by beating Florida State, then goes on the road and beats Mississippi State in their third game, plays Arkansas at home and wins that, and beats Ole Miss at home and starts out 5-0. I just don't see that happening. I do have LSU winning that game against Florida State, which is going to be a very important game, um, but I don't think that LSU is going to be able to run the table from then on out all the way into the Bama game, and I think they're also going to lose that Bama game, which leaves them at 10-2 and 6-2 in conference. Uh, and then I have a log jam in the middle. All teams at the very bottom of the top 25, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and AM all going 8-4 and and 4-4 four and four in conference. Ole Miss being the highest ranked number 20, Arkansas number 22, and AM number 25. Uh, I have all of them losing uh, their games against Alabama except for AM. Uh, the Ole Miss and Arkansas games are on the road for them. Uh, I have Arkansas losing at LSU. I have Ole Miss pulling that surprise upset over LSU. Uh, but I do have Ole Miss also, unfortunately, they have to play Georgia, so they would probably be one game above the rest. But they have road games at Bama, Georgia, Auburn, Mississippi State that I have them losing all of those. Arkansas, I have them losing all their road games at LSU, Ole Miss, Bama, and Florida. And AM, I have them losing all their road games against Arkansas, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and LSU. That one's especially tough for AM. Uh, that is how you end up going 8 and 4, but also being a top 25 team is when you play four top 25 teams on the road in one schedule. That is how you end up there. Um, and frankly, you could make the argument that they should be higher in my rankings, but the problem is A&M and don't really pick up any quality victories without, other than that one over Alabama. The rest of their schedule is kind of those road games, and without them, they're, it's kind of a weak schedule. Um, but then at the bottom of this, I have Auburn and Mississippi State. Uh, every team in the SEC West making a bowl game. This happens way more often than you think it would, um, but definitely benefits these teams that they only have to play they only have to win two games in conference to make a bowl game. And I have Mississippi State playing a very easy non-conference, which they do. And as a result, I think they're going to sneak into a bowl game like pretty easily, honestly. I don't really think it's that hard for them. Um, I have them losing to LSU, but their toughest non-conference game is a toss-up between Arizona or Southern Miss, depending on who you think is better and how you think the conferences scale from the Pac-12 to the Sun Belt. Um, but Mississippi State does not have a tough enough uh, non-conference to lose any games there. And then I think they can pull off two wins in conference and same with Auburn. I think they can pull off three. Okay. Uh, well, now that we've talked about that murderer's row of a, of a division. Let's go to the SEC East. Yeah. Like I said, Georgia going undefeated. We already have talked about that. Then I have number 17, Tennessee. That's way lower than most people have going into the season. That's way lower than most people would have them ending the season, but this is where I have them uh, nine and three, five and three in conference. I have them losing at Alabama. Once again, very tough scheduling for them that they have that as a locked-in rivalry game, despite the fact they're not in the same division. Um, I have them pretty easily beating Virginia uh, in their first game of the year, even though that's a non-conference game against an ACC team. Don't have them struggling with Florida. Don't have them struggling um, with UTSA either. But after they've gotten through the tough stretch of Florida, UTSA, South Carolina, a and I do have them slipping up against Alabama. I have them rebounding, and win. and by the way, they're only favored by six points against A&M, which should indicate to you that betters don't think that the gap between A&M and Tennessee, if betters think that the gap between A&M and Tennessee is a six-point gap, how do how do you think betters feel about ranking voters keeping these teams as one of them is number 10 and one of them is number 25? I mean, there's clearly not a belief out there that they're 15, 15 ranks separate. I agree with that. 
Um, I don't actually think that one that A and M is higher than the projections, though. I just think that Tennessee is lower, um, and I think it's really due to the schedule. And I think that Tennessee is going to get really hyped up for the Georgia game, try to win that game, like unlike they were weren't able to last year. Um, and I think that as a result, they're going to fall into a trap and they're going to lose into Missouri the week before. And that is my surprise loss on their schedule. That means that Tennessee ends up with three losses. Otherwise, they're a two-loss team if they can get through that four-game gauntlet with South Carolina and A&M in it at home um, before losing to Alabama. And then, obviously, if they're able to pull off the upset against either Alabama or Georgia, then you're talking about a one-loss team, most likely, maybe even an undefeated team. I don't see it happening, though. Um, in the rest of the conference, I have South Carolina going 7-5, and 4-4 four and four through that tough schedule in the conference. Uh, I have them losing their non-conference game in North Carolina, but I do have them getting the non-conference upset over Clemson, um, which will be very, very important when we talk about other conferences. Um, But to be quite honest, I think it's really indicative of overall college football. I don't see a lot of really great teams that have dominant everything and a returning quarterback out there. I only see two of them, and we're about to talk about the second one. And that is the reason why I have chaos going on everywhere. That's the reason why I have Clemson choking a playoff spot by losing to South Carolina. It's the reason why I have LSU getting through that game with Florida State but not running the table, and I'll get on to more scenarios later, but I don't want to spoil them. Um, But look, I have South Carolina going 7-5, losing that game to North Carolina, but bouncing back at the end of the season getting that game over Clemson. I have them losing at Georgia, at Tennessee, at Missouri, uh, at A&M. I have Kentucky having a rough season without Will Levis but still making a bowl game at 7-5, just not up to their normal standards. Um, they're, they're a game that could swing them as maybe a bowl game, not bowl game team is their last game of the year against Louisville on the road. Uh, that one could be one to send them to six and six, one to send them to five and seven. Louisville could be playing in the same type of scenario. So that one is an interesting one to watch. Um, Florida, I have going five and seven. Some teams have this team getting ranked votes before the season, but like I, like I talked about, uh, this is actually not against Florida in terms of them as a team. It's just the fact that their schedule is too tough. I don't think that Graham Mertz is going to win six games against the toughest schedule in the country because he barely won six games against a Wisconsin schedule. Um, no offense to Wisconsin, but as we're about to talk about, they tend to major in easy schedules. And actually, a little bit of a spoiler alert, they have the easiest schedule in the Big Ten this year. So Graham Mertz not really running through gauntlets exactly at Wisconsin and still barely scraping in a bowl game. So I don't see how he's going to carry that to Florida, and either get a road win at Utah, get a home win against Florida State, pick up a win even at Mizzou. I mean, there are so many wins that he would have to pull off to get to six wins that it's ridiculous. I don't think it's going to happen. I have Mizzou being kind of a shocker, going 7-5, and Uh, and then I have Vandy going 3-9, 0-8 in conference. Pretty much standard stuff there for the SEC. All right. Do you have any surprise candidates to win the SEC? Well, going with the theme of total long shots that I've gone with in other conferences, I'm going with Arkansas. Um, They argue have the best... QB or running back duo in the conference with KJ Jefferson and Raheem Rocket Sanders, although the rest of their roster is just not up to snuff with the rest of the SEC, frankly. Um, that duo only went 7-6 and six last year anyway, but if a few stars can emerge from elsewhere on the roster, uh, this team could emerge as a breakout team. They played Kansas in that great bowl game that was 55-53 to 53 in double overtime, uh, which shows you they have the offense. The problem is they can't even tackle Kansas. So, I mean... That's the reason why I only have them going 8-4 and four overall, but I really do think that if they can get a few guys to perform on defense, get some guys to replace Drew Sanders, who's a first-round pick, uh, as a linebacker who I think had, like, there were games where he had maybe 20, 30 tackles last year. He was just the only guy on the field making those plays for them. Uh, I do think that if they're able to find some other guys to step up there, 
they can actually emerge as a breakout team, and they also avoid Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina in crossover games. Yeah, the other key is keeping K.J. Jefferson healthy, right? Um, different team with him healthy on, and on the field. Right, he was not necessarily playing every game last year, and they really, really struggled with him off the field. They, totally different team. All right, let's uh, move on from the SEC over to what uh, people I don't think would argue is the other best conference in college football, at least this year. Let's take a look at the Big Ten. And let's start again with who do you think has the toughest schedule in the conference? Well, these are the top two conferences, and it's actually not really debatable. If you're debating it, you don't know what you're talking about, um, especially after Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12. But that's a different discussion. Uh, but it's Minnesota because of their non-conference schedule. I don't know who scheduled this, but North Carolina and Minnesota are playing each other. Don't know where that matchup came from. I don't know if they've ever played before. I don't know if they've been in a bowl. It's just a very odd matchup. I, I, I saw that on the schedule, and I was like, huh. That's just odd. But um, two good programs, honestly. Two programs that typically hang around the bottom of the top 25 or maybe right around it, getting ranked votes every week pretty much, um, challenging for their divisions in their conference, not necessarily ever really a big uh, threat to win the conference championship. But that game uh, is really the one that pushes it over for me. Typically, I will say this is reserved for a Big East team, uh, our Big Ten East team, I should say, not Big East. That conference doesn't exist anymore except for in basketball. Uh, but Ohio State does have that game against Notre Dame, but Ohio State has the Georgia argument because they don't get to play themselves. So that makes their schedule a lot easier because they avoid one of the big two in the conference because they are one of the big two in the conference. Minnesota, on the other hand, something that rarely happens, they really got a bad hand on the schedule. They actually do play both of the big two without being in the division, which, unlike I've said I've said that typically this is a Big Ten East team that gets this rank because they play Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, but Minnesota somehow lucked their way or unlucked their way into playing both Michigan and Ohio State uh, this year and that tough non-conference schedule. Um, That's just really tough. And honestly, even having Michigan State as the third game is still a way harder alternative than having Rutgers or Indiana or depending on the year, Maryland, but this year Maryland's probably better. Um, And out of conference, they also even play Louisiana, who's not even that bad as as a that's less of a pushover than a lot of the games that Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State have on their schedule. Um, and honestly, I think that that trip to UNC is probably as challenging uh, as Ohio State's trip to South Bend, considering the caveat that Minnesota has obviously less talent overall than Ohio State does on the roster. And they play preseason number two, four, twenty, and twenty one, along with the quote unquote unofficial number twenty six, because Iowa has the most ranked votes. Uh, of non-ranked teams on the road. So that's a really tough schedule for five of the top 26, pretty much equal to that Florida schedule with two of the top five as well. Yeah, that schedule for Minnesota is ridiculous. Um, I, I've often complained about Big Ten scheduling and, and not being fair to certain teams. This, to me, is actually probably the most unfair crossover scheduling. And Minnesota would have canceled done. the game against North Carolina had they known that they were playing Ohio State schedule, and Michigan the schedule same year. done last year. It was done a few years ago when... You arguably were looking at, I mean, three of the top four in the conference, maybe not three of the top five, definitely three of the top four in the crossovers. Probably when the schedule was actually done, you could yeah. make the argument it was actually the top three in the conference the period. Three. And if not, Wisconsin would be in there as well. Right. So, they I mean, they would play top four. Rivals, so, so um, <laughs> And they play a couple of those games on the road. Um, wow. Uh, three of those games on the road, I believe. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, let's go to the flip side. Uh, who's got the easiest schedule in the Big Ten? It's Iowa who edges out Wisconsin for this one. Uh, this category is always a Big Ten West team um, because, well, they don't. It's really whoever avoids the crossovers. Last year it was Purdue who 
had the lucky task of only playing Penn State and not playing Ohio State or Michigan. And in the end, that game ended up being the difference for why I picked Purdue to win the conference. And funny enough, Purdue actually won the division and went into the Big Ten Championship game because their schedule was just so easy. Uh, Purdue, I even said, I remember when we were talking about it, I said, all Purdue has to do is beat Penn State in the opener and they're going to cakewalk to the championship game. They actually didn't even beat Penn State in that game and they still won the division. Iowa is in the same scenario. Iowa does play Penn State on the road, which is much tougher than playing them at home. Um, But if you look at the non-conference schedule, their game against Utah State, their game against Western Michigan, not going to challenge them at all. Um, Their game against Iowa State in the Battle of the Betters is not going to challenge either of... I mean, it's really not going to challenge either of those teams, I don't think. I don't think Iowa State is one of the better teams. We've already done the Big 12 preview. I think they're probably one of the worst teams in the Big 12. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of Georgia playing Georgia Tech in that it's a weak, weak, weak Power 5 team, but it's still a Power 5 team. Yes, it's a rivalry, but Iowa State is not as good um, as, some of the, as some of the other teams. And while Wisconsin, since we're on the subject, and I said that's the team that Iowa's edging out, Wisconsin plays at Washington State, which that cross-country trip, along with the fact that Washington State actually beat them last year and is probably a better team this year and probably a bowl game team this year, that trip is a lot harder than Iowa driving across the state to go play Iowa State. It's just not It's not comparable at all. Washington State is a far better team than Iowa State is, in my opinion. Um, and as a result, Wisconsin also playing Ohio State. I think playing Ohio State at home probably cancels out with playing Penn State on the road, to be honest. Um, you always would want to avoid the big two. Iowa does that. Uh, and even their other crossover games, they have Rutgers and they have Michigan State at home, which are probably two of the bottom four definitely two of the bottom four uh, in the Big Ten East. So that's really an easy schedule. Even their road splits, they have Wisconsin on the road, but they get Illinois at home and they get and they also get Minnesota at home, which outside of Wisconsin and Penn State, the two toughest teams in their schedule are at home. Uh, and maybe you could throw Michigan State in there as a better team than uh, Nebraska. And all of a sudden you have the three best teams on their schedule are at home outside of P- Penn State um, and Wisconsin. So overall, it's just a lot easier um, than what, not a lot easier than what Wisconsin has, but still a decent amount and definitely easier than any Big Ten East teams. Yeah, um, that Wisconsin-Ohio State game, though, was actually one of the more intriguing games of the year with Luke Fickle taking Wisconsin Badgers against the team that Luke Fickle played for and that then fired him after he was an interim coach. Well, didn't really make him a coach. So I'm looking forward to that matchup. All right, uh, who's your pick to win the conference? Well, my... happy. My pick to win the conference is Michigan. Uh, Their crossovers are harder than last year, no doubt. Back-to-back road games at Nebraska and Minnesota aren't pushovers, but as I discussed, the completely unevolved Joe Milton beat Minnesota by 25 on the road in 2020 when they last played. That Michigan team went 2-4, and and they also went on the road and beat Nebraska in 2021, and no offense to Cade McNamara, but there's a reason why Iowa is the best others-receiving-votes category team and Michigan is the number one non-Georgia team in the country. Michigan upgraded at quarterback in the last two years, and that is J.J. McCarthy. Uh, arguably two of the best five running backs in the country, too, with Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. And just overall, as a result, this team is way more talented than the team that played either of those Minnesota or Nebraska road games. So I don't see those two, while they are harder than the games from last year, I don't see either of those two tripping up Michigan. And frankly, The way Illinois played last year against Michigan stylistically and both just overall in the year and how they were playing at the time, and then Blake Corum getting injured in the middle of that game, you could argue that that Illinois game at home that Michigan had that was actually their closest game of the year 
was actually harder than the Nebraska road game or a Minnesota road game this year, honestly, because Minnesota isn't necessarily their normal selves. Either they've lost Tanner Morgan, they don't have an NFL receiver this year. Uh, at least it seems. Maybe they'll have someone emerge. Um, but I'm also not as high on as others are on this Penn State team, who Michigan also beat in 2021. And I think Ohio State at home is actually still the biggest challenge on Michigan's schedule. And any year that Michigan can have Ohio State at home, I think the way we're looking at this conference now, I've been picking it this way for the last two years, Whoever's the home team is my pick to win the conference out of that matchup every single year. I think that's the easiest way to pick it. I think that's the most reliable way to pick it. They're right up there with the elites. And the fact of the matter is, Michigan was struggling to separate themselves from the rest of the pack before they even got to the Ohio State level. And then in 2021, just took the massive jump of both finding a way to beat Penn State on the road and beat Nebraska on the road, take care of Wisconsin on the road, who were all previous hurdles that Michigan wasn't clearing. They did it all in one year, and then they also went and beat Ohio State at home. And then last year, they took over the final hurdle, which was beating Ohio State when Ohio State was looking for revenge, had a returning quarterback, and the game was on the road. So I don't really see how Michigan now all of a sudden is going to take that Penn State team that lost to them 41-17 to last year and is going to trip up against them on the road, knowing the implications of that game potentially down the line. Michigan's not going to slip up in that game, and I just think that overall they're the pick to win the conference because of that. Yeah, uh, Michigan's a very, very special team. Very deep, very talented. Been there before. A lot of key returning players at key positions. Only thing that can stop them is injury. And the fact of the matter is, when you talk about returning production, ESPN has a metric for it. Michigan is number five in the country, only behind Wyoming, FAU, Kansas, and Florida State, which... I'll get to what that means for Florida State in a second. And if you know anything about my model of picking teams, and by the way, I should have mentioned this earlier, Texas A&M and Missouri, both in the top 10 in the SEC. I like teams with returning production, especially if you tell me they're returning a quarterback. Michigan, Florida State, A&M, Missouri, for that reason, are risers for me from last season to this season. Florida State, obviously, it's from top 15 to playoff contender. Michigan would be from team that bowed out in the first round of the playoff to maybe getting to that championship game and maybe winning that championship game. But look, Michigan returns 84% of offensive production, which is fourth in the country off an offense that was probably second or third best in the country last year. Uh, None of the other teams in the Big Ten do that. Penn State, I know that people like Drew Aller, but I don't think transitioning quarterbacks is as easy as people make it out to be. And as a result, with that returning production, like you said, it's got to be Michigan. It just makes too much sense this year. Yeah, and to the extent they didn't return production, they brought in some some folks in the transfer portal, and they've got guys who weren't playing, who were injured last year. Both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards were hurt going down the stretch. So uh, if this team stays healthy, particularly on offense, and their defense looks great too, they are scary. So I'm going to agree with you, and it's not just uh, it's not just because of my bias. All right, who's the biggest challenger to those defending two-time defending? Big Ten champion Michigan Wolverines to knock them off that pedestal. Well, here's the thing. Ohio State was the probably four or five-time defending champions for a while. I Actually, I guess Michigan State actually mixed in that title one time. But probably five out of six years at some point, Ohio State had won. So I don't count them as a challenger to first place. I view Michigan and Ohio State as a 1A, 1B, despite the fact that I think this Michigan team is really special. I think that Ohio State is a 1B still because they're still that good. They always have that talent. And look... I think that that's the really obvious challenger. They don't really count. And then I also say Penn State is the sneaky pick for some with, like I said, that thought process that Drew Aller and his talent is going to carry them to be better than Sean Clifford. But I don't really think that happens. Um, But to me, again, I don't think it counts as huge surprise challenges. So I'll just say that these two as the other 
two of the big three, depending on the year, at least Ohio State as the for sure big two are the challengers. But it's really not saying much to put that out there. So I'm kind of glazing over this one quickly. And it's more important to talk about surprise challengers later on. But yes, I have Ohio State as the biggest challenger. And we'll talk about where I actually have them placing now. Interesting. I would, I, if you ask me, I would say the biggest challenger is whoever wins the uh, whoever wins the West, because all I have to do is get lucky in one fluke game in the conference championship. Uh, all right, let's go to your predictions for your overall standings in the conference. Let's stick in the East. Well, I have Michigan going twelve and zero, nine and zero, as we've discussed, and then with the second uh, surprise of the day, I also don't have Ohio State making the playoffs. Which, if you can do math, that means that. You could probably narrow down maybe four or five teams that are left over that we haven't talked about that have to be playoff teams. Maybe it's Washington, maybe it's USC, maybe it's Oregon, uh, maybe, maybe it's Clemson, maybe it's Florida State. Who knows? Uh, I do, and you can also look at my predictions if you really want to know that early, but I've listed off number five, number six, and number seven, Ohio State only losing to Michigan. Let's talk about number eight. That's Penn State. Uh, I have them going 10-2, and 7-2 and two in conference Losing to Michigan and Ohio State, no shame in that. The only teams that end up ranked ahead of them with two losses are LSU and then Alabama, who takes their second loss in the conference championship game to Georgia. So no shame in that at all for Penn State. I just don't think that this is the year out of all years. I really, honestly, I'm actually, I'm not going to take too long to talk about this, but I'm actually really surprised that this is the year that people are jumping on the Penn State bandwagon with a new quarterback after they've had a returning quarterback for a while and they've had more talented teams. They've had, you know, that guy named Saquon Barkley. They've had first-round picks on defense. They've had a dominant pass rush. But all of a sudden, the equation that people are looking for is two running backs that can run uh, James Franklin's weird wing T formation that worked in the Rose Bowl like twice uh, on fourth and one. Uh, and, and that's all of a sudden with Nick Singleton. That That's what they believe is going to push them over. Uh, I just don't... It's just... I, I don't believe it, honestly. Um... I also think that even with the fact that Penn State has an amazing running back duo, they actually still have the third best running back duo in the conference. And I have so much more faith in Ryan Day to get a new quarterback to play well than I do James Franklin. And I have way more faith that J.J. McCarthy is better than both of them anyway. And then you look at the rest of the stuff around it. Penn State lost a lot of their defensive players over the last few years. I don't see who's coming up with production on that side of the ball as well to make them as good of a team as they've been in the past. And this is still already the number three team in the conference. I'm not saying they're bad, but I just don't see how this is the year that people believe they're going to unseat the throne of Michigan and Ohio State. doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, But I'm going to move on from that and talk about Maryland, who I have as the fourth best team. Might come as a surprise to some that it's not Michigan State. Not, probably shouldn't be a surprise, but seven and five, four and five in conference. Uh, Losses at Michigan State, at Ohio State, to Penn State, losses to Michigan, and then a loss at Nebraska. Um, and then fifth in the conference, I have that being Michigan State, going 5-7, and seven, missing a bowl game for the second year in a row. Uh, they have a win against Central Michigan, Richmond, Maryland, Nebraska, and at Indiana. But I will put the aside that they will get absolutely destroyed by Washington, Iowa, both of those games on the road, uh, by Michigan, who enters that game as a 20-point favorite right now as we stand right now, uh, Minnesota on the road, who also beat them by 20 at home last year, and then Ohio State, and then also Penn State. They are not getting close to any of those games Maybe unless Drew Aller is possibly the biggest, most overhyped quarterback of all time, they can scrape a close game against Penn State, but that's about all I can give them. Um, and then in sixth, I have Rutgers 5-7, and 2-7 seven, and seven in conference. Uh, I actually have them going with wins over Northwestern, Temple, Virginia Tech, Wagner, and Michigan State for a 5-2 and two start, but I also have them losing their last five games uh, with the surprise one to Indiana that deflates their whole season, and then they enter 
the part of their schedule where they play Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, and Maryland, and they really bomb out and end up 5-7. and seven. But I will add, they are 23rd in the country in returning production. Only team in the Big Ten higher than them is Michigan. Um, and if they're able to get solid QB play, they can actually walk over uh, their early year schedule and probably get to that 5-2 and two mark pretty easily, at least at 4-3. and three. Then finally, I have Indiana 3-9, and 1-8 and eight, uh, in conference. I have them beating Indiana State, Akron, and Rutgers. Uh, definitely a worse team in the conference contender. Wow, it's amazing uh, how, how Indiana's fortunes have flipped. Um, yeah, I think you might be being a little generous to Michigan State, depending on that quarterback situation. They've lost a few key players, not just didn't have much talent last year, and they've lost some key players in the transfer portal. I would so, never count 5-7 and seven as generous to any team, but if you think so. I'm biased too. All right, let's go over to the Big Ten West. Well, I have Wisconsin here as the number 16 team in the country, 9-3, and 6-3 three, and three in conference. I have them losing at Illinois uh, to Ohio State and then at Minnesota. A pretty standard season for Wisconsin. I will say a very interesting team to watch because they have Luke Fickle, they have Tanner Mordecai. Really the first time I feel like Wisconsin's utilized a lot of the transfer portal. Chaz Malusi, also their main running back, is a guy out of the transfer portal from Clemson too. So a lot of transfer portal production for uh, Wisconsin is due this year. Uh, then you have number 23, Iowa, 8-4, and 6-3. They definitely went into the transfer portal heavy. Uh, got Cade McNamara as a new quarterback, and Eric All as their new star t- tight end. Probably the next great Iowa tight end, but the problem is they still have the same offensive coordinator who does not know how to generate points. Uh, and if you know anything about Michigan, especially in 2021, Michigan got a lot of points off of a lot of creativity. That is not something Iowa specializes in on offense. Uh, As a result, I think that despite the fact that they probably have the talent to be a top 20, maybe a top 15 team, they're still going to sputter and be at the lower end of the top 25 as an 8-4 and team. Uh, I have them losing that rivalry game to Iowa State. I have them losing at Penn State, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, all those games on the road. Uh, Then I have Minnesota, a better team than Iowa probably on paper, but just the problem is I don't trust their quarterback play as much, and their schedule is ridiculous, as we talked about. I have them losing both of their games against the Big Two, I have them losing that non-conference game against North Carolina. And while I do have them winning that rivalry game against Minnesota, I have them losing the rivalry game against Iowa on the road and also dropping an extra road game to Purdue, although it wouldn't really matter. It's just a battle of would they be tied for second in the conference or would they be at third? Then I have Illinois losing all of their production from last year pretty much. Best corners, uh, best running back. They didn't really have great quarterback play to begin with. Um, I have them losing at Kansas, which is actually a pretty good opening weekend game. That's a good weekend. That's a good game. If you are looking for just a solid game, you don't want a game that has national championship implications and you just want to chill. You don't want to watch LSU Florida state because it's too stressful. Go watch Illinois and Kansas. That'll be a game that by the end of the year, the winner is in a bowl game and the loser is five and seven. And they look back at that game as the reason why that is probably my guess at that one. Although I think I actually funny enough have both of the teams going six and six, but anyway, uh, Kansas, I have them losing that game. I have them losing to Penn State, at Purdue, at Maryland, at Minnesota, and at Iowa. Just tough games on the road for them that I don't think they're capable of winning with their current team makeup. Uh, I have Nebraska, despite being lower than Illinois in the standings uh, because of a loss to Illinois. Uh, I do have them going 7-5 and five and making a bowl game uh, under Matt Rule. I trust him, honestly. I trust Matt Rule to play with talent and to have a good team with a talented team. Uh, and as a result, going 7-5, and five, not too shabby. Losing at Minnesota, uh, losing that game to Michigan at Illinois, at Michigan State, at Wisconsin. Watch out for Nebraska in a few years when Matt Rule can actually build his program. But typically, what he does is he goes one and eleven, and then six and six or seven and five, and then he takes you to the conference championship game, and then he goes to the NFL or to another team. Um, but maybe this time he might not actually leave Nebraska because it's a pretty good landing spot. 
Um, and I also don't think they're starting off 111 in his era because they're a lot better than Temple was when he took over or Baylor was when he took over. Um, but at the same time, I had them maybe starting a year ahead of the Matt Rule typical timeline. Uh, look out for them two years from now. Maybe that may, maybe they can actually make some noise, although we'll see what happens with Luke Fickle. Um, then at the bottom of the conference, two really uninteresting teams. Purdue pretty much lost everybody, um, including, their coach. I- including their coach. Everybody left with the coach. Uh, quarterback, best receiver, uh, already relieving anyway, and O'Connell and Charlie Jones were already gone because, well, first of all, Charlie Jones had played four years at Iowa before playing at Purdue last year, and Aiden O'Connell had already also played four years, got drafted. That's the end of that era. Uh, hey, it was fun while it lasted. They actually won the, a division in the Big Ten, something that a lot of teams can't say. Penn State hasn't done it in a very long time if they've done it at all. So, I mean, I'll take that if, I, if, I'm, if I'm Purdue. I'll take that, but unfortunately, uh, they're going to have to restart in a new era, and it's not going to start out so well. I have them going five and seven. Three and six in conference, and then finally, speaking of new eras, uh, Northwestern three and nine, one and eight, not worth talking about. Uh, too many, too many, too many controversies, too many words that could be said. Uh, this team just doesn't have the talent on paper. The only reason they're going three and nine, I actually, funny enough, I had them going four and eight and getting an upset at win over Minnesota that I had to shake up the rest of the conference for. Um, but then I changed it because of everything that happened with the hazing scandal not having Pat Fitzgerald. I just think there's going to be something off with this team throughout the year, and it's kind of going to be a bad thing, especially at the start of the year, which is when they play Minnesota too. It's their first conference game. Or, or actually, they play Rutgers in the first game, but then they play Minnesota in their first regular, like regularly scheduled conference game. I think it's the fourth or fifth game of the year. Um, just don't think that with all that going on, Northwestern, even with a new quarterback in Ben Bryant, who's a significant upgrade than the quarterback position last year, I still don't think they're going to get much better, so I have them going 3-9. and nine. Well, I'm shocked at your Northwestern prediction. You have them tripling their win output from last year, despite everything that's going on. But uh, maybe that has to do with the non-conference schedule. But last year's non-conference schedule wasn't very good either. I think Howard is actually way worse than Southern Illinois is, and I don't think people recognize that fact. Um, and I also think that uh, UTEP might be probably as challenging as Miami of Ohio, but actually probably a bit worse, considering how Miami of Ohio winning a division in the MAC this year. And you got them losing at Duke because they lost at home to Duke. Okay. I see your analysis there. Let's go with uh, surprise candidates to win the conference. Well, this is why this is why when you said the biggest the biggest uh, candidate to upset the top of the conference should be from the West. This is where it happens. I'm giving it to Wisconsin uh, again. Don't think that Ohio State and Penn State count, like I said earlier. But considering they're in the East, I actually do think Penn State has a worse chance overall of winning the conference than Wisconsin does. I will say that easily. Um, I would say that if you want to say Penn State would be winning the conference would be more surprising than Wisconsin. I would actually agree with you, um, but the way that they're being talked about preseason, if you said that, people would look at you crazy, so I'm not going to say that, but I will say that I actually do think that Wisconsin does have a better chance and is a better surprise candidate, in my opinion. Um, they have Ohio State at home, but honestly, they should be favored in the other 11 games on their schedule. I would think that maybe Washington State could be favored over them, uh, depending on how these teams play in their first week, but... Honestly, other than that, you'd be it'd be hard to find a game where Wisconsin won't be favored. Maybe the Minnesota game would be a contender for a game where they're not the favorite. But if you're looking at the rest of the schedule, Buffalo, they're already favored by 27. Georgia Southern, they're going to be favored. No offense to Clay Helton, but that's just not going to happen. Uh, Purdue, Rutgers, they're favored. Uh, against Iowa at home, as long as they don't have two or three losses going into that game, which they definitely shouldn't, they're going to be favored at home against Iowa. Uh, Illinois is a downgraded team. Ohio State's only favored over this team by 10, despite the fact that, you know, it's Ohio State uh, against Wisconsin. So I just think that overall, I actually like what they have. 
Um, they're not losing to Indiana. They're not losing to Northwestern. They're not losing at home to Nebraska. So really, outside of that Minnesota game, outside of that Ohio State game, probably favored in all the games, probably even favored against Minnesota. Probably slight, maybe two and a half, one and a half point favorite. Um, but again, I actually think that Luke Fickle joins this conference and is the second best coach in the conference. I will put that out there. I think that right behind Jim Harbaugh is Luke Fickle. Um, I don't think that oh, Ryan yeah, Day... I she was behind James Franklin. No, I don't think that Ryan Day is a better coach. I don't think that James Franklin is a better coach. I think that every Cincinnati team Luke Fickle has ever had has had far less talent than James Franklin, and one of them has made the playoff and one of them hasn't. Um, and I think that's about all you need to know about the two coaches. I also think that... I don't think James Franklin could ever go on the road and beat a Brian Kelly Notre Dame team. What? But we'll never find out because that's not a thing anymore. Um, but that wouldn't happen, whereas... That is exactly what Luke Fickle did. And, I mean, let's be honest. Cincinnati got destroyed by Alabama in that playoff, but they actually made it look more respectable than most people thought it would. And that Alabama team was a lot better than people realize. Um, and just dominance-wise, we're way better. Um, I agree. Look, a great hire for Wisconsin. I think that he's the second-best coach in the conference. And I also think that it's rare for Wisconsin to have better quarterback play than the other top contenders, which they do. I think that Tanner Mordecai and Cade McNamara are probably about even in terms of quarterback play. McNamara doesn't have the stats, but has a lot of the wins on his record at Michigan, obviously. Mordecai has a 3,500-yard and 33-touchdown season for LSU. Sorry, not for LSU, for SMU last year. So lower competition, much better stats, fewer wins, but just overall higher-rated recruit. Previously was a five-star that was supposed to be he was actually supposed to be the next big quarterback in Oklahoma, which if you know anything about college football, that's a pretty big weight to have placed on your shoulders. Um, I think Dylan Gabriel is actually the guy who ended up taking over instead of him, and you can debate whether that worked out for them as well. But Jalen Hurts, I think, transferred in when Mordecai was a freshman too, so it's not he didn't necessarily have the cleanest path. Uh, but at the same time, he joins Luke Fickle, new place. Uh, I think that if Luke Fickle can run the same stuff that he did at Cincinnati with this talent— I don't think there's any way they're worse than they were last year. I don't think there's any way they're worse than they've been the last few years. And despite the fact that they have many transfers, they also rank 27th in the country in returning production, trailing only Rutgers and Michigan. That combination leads me to believe that they're actually more dangerous than most people would think. Okay, that wraps up our look at the Big Ten. It also wraps this edition, this special edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. If you enjoyed this one, you won't want to miss the next and last special college football preview edition on Friday, August 18th where we will look at the ACC and the Pac-12, uh, soon to be the Pac-4, or maybe not in existence. Um, and we will reveal our preseason top 25 rankings. And the ACC might be the CCC, because they might be the cross-coast the the cross coast conference. Or, or the Pac, Pacific Atlantic Coast Conference. Yeah, who knows? Uh, a lot can happen between our podcasts. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, keep up to date on current events. We'll talk about them if they happen, but our next regularly scheduled podcast will be on Monday, August 14th where we will revert back to our normal lineup, which is a look at Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly review of Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, his picks for next weekend's games, or in this case, series on Major League Baseball that will be posted as always on Thursday, and his predictions for the entire college football season. All that content can be found on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four. T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.